going on guys welcome back to the cold seat podcast where the seats are cold but the takes are hot got a bit of a good episode here for you today guys a regular cold seat podcast episode uh coming at you guys today gonna have a little bit to talk about uh kind of all around got some golf some baseball is getting started up here kind of through two weeks now we've got a little bit of a little bit of a standings uh separation here in some some divisions in the mlb got, got some good college baseball to talk about as well a pretty busy weekend and then midweek last week for some teams nba playoffs got going Got a couple games under the under the belt uh, in most series by now. Uh, two to three games in for most of them. Got more games coming tonight, of course. Uh, not much college basketball. Got more spring games to talk about for college football. We got some big, big NFL news surrounding one of the NFL's biggest stars last season. And then we're going to finish out today's pod with our defensive rankings for the draft. But I'll go ahead and let Brick get started with golf today. Yeah, pretty much said it. We got a good episode for y'all. We're going to kick it off like we normally do with some golf news. Uh, for the second consecutive week, last weekend, a former Texas Longhorn took home the dub. Uh, this past Sunday, the RBC Heritage event concluded, and Jordan Spieth outlasted Patrick Cantlay in a one-hole playoff. Uh, both, fin- both players finished the 72 holes, 13 under, uh, resulting in a playoff. Spieth earned himself a million four hundred forty thousand, while Cantlay earned eight hundred seventy-two thousand. So that one playoff hole that Cantlay lost ended up costing him five hundred sixty-eight k, which is kind of crazy because you know golfers get paid a lot differently than most other sports, and they get paid based off their performance strictly. Um, there's not really any negotiations and stuff like that. They don't do contracts, so it's kind of crazy that like, you know, you miss the first playoff hole, you're one stroke back. I think Cantley bogeyed it, Spieth parred it, and Cantley loses out on 568000 So kind of crazy, um, but it's nice to see Jordan win. He won last year at the Valero Texas Open. But, I mean, far past his prime, which was 2015, but I definitely think he can get on a roll here soon. Um, but currently we have the opening round of the Zurich Classic underway. A uh, four-day event is unique in that it takes four different formats each day. Uh, one of my favorite events to watch just for that reason. So today basically uh, is one of the four different formats and the format that's always on Thursdays, the opening round is players are paired up, then they can pick their partner and they each play their own ball from the tee shot all the way till it goes in the hole. Um, and then you take the best score. So, uh, so far today, I think we have a couple we have a 60, which was 12 under, and then a couple 11 unders, uh, 61. So you're going to see a lot better scores here after the first day. Uh, tomorrow's alternate shot, though, so they both play one ball alternating who hits. So whoever hits the tee shot will then hit the iron shot, and then it's the putt. Uh, tomorrow would be a lot harder to score. Uh, but for notable pairings for this weekend's event, uh, we have Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley, two high-caliber Americans that played together in the Ryder Cup. Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, a new pairing um, that we haven't really seen much of, but two high-caliber top 10 golfers. Ian Poulter and Shane Lowry, uh, two Europeans, good friends, have played together for a while. And, of course, the reigning champs uh, last year, Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith, were paired up and took home the trophy in that event. That's pretty much it for golf. We're kind of, you know, these few events after the Masters always are a little bit more underwhelming in terms of just the stakes. But in terms of major championships, we have the U.S. Open here in the middle of June coming up. So really not much till then, just some, you know, normal events, but definitely something to kind of look forward to and see how the golfers stand and if they can play consistently well. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, pretty crazy the way that golf works in terms of uh, pay for these players, like you talked about up top there, uh, with Cantley losing out almost 600 grand uh, on one stroke. It's pretty crazy. Um, still taking on a handsome payday of 870, $872,000. Uh, you know, definitely not bad for one round of golf. And these guys yep. are all making plenty of money from endorsements, but uh, nevertheless, pretty pretty rare the way they do it. Um, I think it's pretty cool. Again, it's hard to do for other sports because it's it's an individual sport that you're able to do that for golf. So, um, but yeah, really unique. We'll move into uh, win the baseball here, a team sport where your performance is all salary, all guaranteed almost. Um, kind of through a couple of weeks here, we'll get a little bit of a standing separation, like I mentioned earlier. But um, Miguel Cabrera. You know, probably one of the greatest hitters of our generation, Brett. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, we were probably, what, 10, 11, 12. This guy was back-to-back triple crown, um, and that hadn't been done, and God knows how I can't even remember how long. Um, but it was a huge deal when he did it. Um, and I think it's it's pretty special. And he is now a piece on the brink of 3,000 career hits. He's been on the brink for a couple of days now. He's been 0 for 3 in the last two days. And he got intentionally walked in the eighth inning today against the Yankees. Um, I don't want to say it was like deliberately so he wouldn't get his 3,000th hit, but um, I don't really see whether whether reason. It's not like the guy's batting 300 this year. He's been a, a mediocre hitter for a long time. Uh, nevertheless, still an all-time great, but um, hadn't been the triple crown guy in, in a while. So kind of a weird, a weird situation there. Um, Yankees ended up giving up a two-run single the next batter, so – you know, baseball gods took note and and let him feel it on the next at bat. But uh, yeah, no, pretty cool that Cabrera's gonna get up on three thousand hits here pretty soon. Yeah, it's definitely awesome. Um, you know, nowadays the kind of new era of baseball is coming in. The younger guys, we're not seeing as many guys get to this three three thousand hit mark, which is such an incredible feat for players to reach. Um, we had Derek Jeter hit it. A while back, I think Molina, Yadier Molina is close. Yeah, um, pretty close. And a couple other guys probably, but not many. I mean, Pujols already got it. Uh, so it's just something really cool to see, especially nowadays where it'll probably be another 10 years before we have another group hitting it. Um, but as for the standings, I mean, uh, Blue Jays and Yankees in terms of the AL East are right at the top there. And then – Tampa and Boston are each within a game from them. And then that leaves one team out of that top four in the AL East, which is obviously my Orioles, uh, which is shocking. They have a top three ERA in the MLB and the best in the AL uh, starters bullpen throughout kind of surprising. Uh, they have the fifth worst record in the league, which is actually uh, about where I expected them. I figured bottom third at best, but bottom five is about where I expected. Uh, it's just, unfortunate because the games they win they're winning one nothing two to one um they have no offense past you know their top four hitters in the lineup i think one dude that's hitting eighth for them was like in single a a few weeks ago but we can't take bring up one of our own guys um but definitely by the end of the season some of our high caliber prospects from the Myers will come up and hopefully can string some wins together and get a much better record than the past few years i was gonna say i mean is it worth it for you guys at this point to start bringing up the Rushmans of the organization. Obviously, Rushman's not healthy, but, like, bring up those kind of guys that are in the minors right now in AAA that are raking. I mean, it's better than what you got right now. Like you said, a guy who was in single A or double A a couple weeks ago. Can't bring up the your, you know, your own homegrown prospects. It's different when you're giving up, you know, six, seven runs a game, but you're not. You have a, a, the best 
ERA in, in the American League. Uh, and, you know, you're not too far behind the two leaders at the top and the Dodgers and the Giants. So what's – why not? Yeah, it's definitely a little frustrating, but I can't expect too much with the current, you know, manager and ownership. Uh, they kind of That's been fair. stuck in this rut for about five, six years now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then I guess out in the AL Central, uh, White Sox and Cleveland Guardians now sit atop the AL Central with uh, KC a half game back. The Royals that the Royals that is, uh, I think we kind of talked about the White Sox, probably probably a, a team that's going to be win the AL East potentially and, and probably a World Series favorite uh, at least to get there out of the American League. Um, Guardians look surprisingly good. Their pitching's been well. Uh, you know, Shane Bieber looks good. So um, good start for them. Their offense was kind of maybe a mystery one of the season, but looks good so far. Yeah, I know. Um, the AL Central is kind of a toss up after the White Sox. So it's good to see some other teams get up there. And I just, I don't know if they're going to have any wild card teams from that division. So it'll be interesting to see who kind of pulls away there towards the end of the season. Um, But in terms of the West, uh, sticking in the American League, Angels are actually at the top. Kind of crazy. Otani hasn't really done anything at the plate except for the last week or so. Uh, He balled out in that series in Arlington against the Rangers. but Oakland and Seattle are both within a game as well. Uh, and Houston is fourth, but they're only a half game back of Oakland and Seattle. So definitely a jam-packed at the top of the division there. Be interesting, like I just said, for the Central, to see who kind of, you know, pulls away there and gets some separation, capitalizes on those interdivisions uh, series. So uh, that's one of the better divisions, I think. People don't really talk about as much. Oakland's kind of – you know, they, they're having 3,000 fans each game at their home series, which is just insane. Um, but Seattle, Austin. LA, yeah, I mean, get a team to Austin. It'd be it'd be nice, you, good location. You got two other teams real close. Uh-huh. Could, you know, slide them right into a division. They kind still, of do they some realignment maybe. Oh, they still fit me. You get the Rangers and the Astros, two Texas teams. There was talk, yeah. There was talk a while back about them because they're going to move. There's talk about going to Austin, so. Throw it out there. I'll take it. But yeah. it's definitely exciting to see. And then you want to shift to kind of the NL standings? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll touch real quick. You mentioned Otani. I didn't know much at the plate. He's been dominant on the mound, though. He had an outing uh, yesterday. I want to say it was the last game against the – when it was against the Astros. He went six innings, one hit, in like 12 Ks. He went off yesterday. Um, they ended up shutting him out and winning like 6 nothing. But uh, he's definitely been an ace on the mound for him, which is, I think – more impactful than hit at the plate. Like, granted, he's a great hitter, but they need pitching more than they do the bat. So, um, good to see from him as well. I'd love to see the Angels win that division, just on a side note. But uh, National League standings, we're going to get to the National League East here. The Mets are atop by the largest margin in the in the majors at three and a half games ahead of the pack. Um, I expected the Mets to be pretty good. I didn't think they'd be this good this early. I think their bats have been real hot and they're picked. I mean, Max Scherzer looks like a Cy Young potential winner. So, um Expect him to be good, but not this good this early with uh, being as how old as he is or as old as he is. Um, figured it may take some time to get his arm built up, but the Mets look really good right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Mets are a team to look out for. I know when we gave our preseason rankings, we mentioned them a few times. Definitely a dark horse that can make a run in the postseason once they get healthy. Um, but for the NL Central, Cardinals are atop that division. Brewers are half game back. Kind of what we expected, those two teams kind of sitting at the top early on here and should be consistently up there throughout the season. Yeah, no surprises there, like you said. Um, 
know, Brewers staff looks pretty good. Cardinals look good. They were going to be good. I think they're just a quality organization. Um, Nolan Arenado actually is uh, tied for second in the league in homers. So he's, you know, the, their star players have been their star players. I mean, they've, they've been what they expected them to. So, um, and now the NL West, the team loaded with plenty of star players, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, my Dodgers sit atop the NL West with San Francisco, San Diego, and shockingly enough, Colorado, all one game back. Um, Colorado actually took the series from us in the, the first series of the year. Uh, Dodgers are, have since won all but one game. Um, we'll see. They've won, so they've won eight of their last nine. They've won. Um, but the, the division's going to be really good again. The Giants have the best ERA in the majors, and the Dodgers are right behind them. And then, like you said, the Orioles are third. Uh, Padres look good. Rockies, like I said, surprising, but uh, CJ Crone, their first baseman, uh, leads the league in homers at six right now. So um, their bats look great. It helps playing in Coors Field, though, the little elevation up in Colorado, up in Denver there. But, uh, you yeah, know, NLW should be jam-packed. Um, again, and they have, you know, of the top top teams in the, in the majors, they've got five of the six best records in the majors. So um, look for the division to be loaded again. Yeah, it's definitely kind of crazy. Like you said, all those teams with hot records to start all, you know, playing each other for the most part here early on. Um, you know, we still got a lot of time, though. It's, you know, we're 12 games into the year. We still got 150 left. It's going to be interesting to see how these standings change week to week, series to series. Kind of see, you know, what performances we get from players and, you know, kind of as we get towards the all-star break in a couple months, who's you know, going to be elected for that. Um, definitely see some usuals, but also some young guys that maybe don't normally make it um, with the out, you know, outstanding first half of the season could get to the all-star game. So that, that'll all be interesting home run contest, all that. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting to see, I think post all-star game, um, you know, a lot of times you see like, I mean, yeah, you know, the, you know, firsthand like Chris Davis, mashes a bunch of homers was on pace for what 60 or 70 and then he hit like 12 the rest of the year i mean it's gonna be interesting to see how these guys because they with baseball players this guy it's it's a game of, of streaks and, and and cold spells right i mean uh so it'll be interesting to see how these guys take that whole kind of week off because these guys are playing almost every day uh, or every other day and so it's interesting to see how these guys take a whole week off and what teams can come back and still be consistent and still be uh performing at a high level so speaking of a team that's been consistently bad uh, the Reds have dropped nine in a row and are league worst two and 11. I watched, they just finished a series with the Dodgers uh, earlier in the week over the weekend, and they are god awful. I, they're terrible. Um, their pitching's bad, their bats are bad. Other than Joey Votto, I think like Joey Votto's persona that's getting talked about now has is, is like overshadowing the team's lack of success. Um, but yeah, they I thought they'd be a lot better than that. I mean. You know, there's not like they're a poor, like not that they're a bad roster. They have a fair amount of talent. There's way worse teams in the league, especially, I mean, in the National League, there's way worse teams that are far better than this year. So a um, little tidbit there that the Reds, they, they're awful. Yeah, they're very underwhelming here this year. Didn't expect too much from them, but didn't expect them to lose 11 of their first 13. Uh, but as we jump to the college level um, on the Diamond, the – Texas Tech Red Raiders are another team that has recently struggled to find pitching and offense. Um, they went 0-4 last week. We mentioned it on the last week's episode. They dropped the annual Red Dirt rivalry game where they play OU in Amarillo. 
and then they go to Fort Worth for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, and they got swept there. Um, they also lost this Tuesday to New Mexico on a walk-off three-run homer. So they somehow only dropped from four to nine in the standings, and they've dropped eight of their last 11 and eight straight to teams other than Kansas State. So, I mean, they open up series here with West Virginia tomorrow, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adjust and, you know, kind of try to get in a groove again. Um, but they always play better at home. I mean, they're 27 and 13. 12 of those 13 losses are on the road, 18 and one at home. But I'll be looking for the pitching and offense to kind of get back on track here this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard. You, you rarely say this, but this might be a must sweep series for them. Um, you know, as much as you hate to say it, when you drop a game to New Mexico on the road and then you you get swept by TCU in Fort Worth and a couple of games you probably should have won or at least had a shot to win, we won't get into it, but had a couple of times where they probably should have at least been in a better position and they got kind of screwed over a couple of times. But it's almost it, you put yourself in a position to have a must sweep and it's disappointing. I think we've talked at length about us just individually off the pod and we've mentioned it on the pod, the inability to find a third pitcher and it's rearing its ugly head. And unfortunately with Brendan Gurton out till probably May now, it sounds like mid-May, um, they're not going to get another reliever. They're not going to get a long reliever. Um, you know, having Brendan Gurton allowed them to kind of maneuver with pitchers a little bit. And now he was their one long reliever really outside of the option of, you know, one of Chase Hampton or Mason Molina, Mason Molina whichever one doesn't make the Sunday start. You know, that's the only other long reliever. And those guys have been wildly inconsistent. I mean, you know, Molina comes in the other day and pitches, what do you want? three perfect innings and then yep. he'll go out the next he'll go out the next outing you know and he'll give up two bombs it's like the inability to find the consistent pitching is going to hurt him and i think ultimately the injury to girton may well you think oh it's just a reliever but just the situation that they're in it's going to hurt him a lot and i agree um got to find consistency especially in the bullpen morrison Birdsell, the two starters have really been you know fairly good this year, especially uh, Morris in conference play. Birdsell's been pretty consistent. I'd say his outing against TCU and UT were kind of his two not as good outings, but still weren't awful. Um, not something you want to see from your ace, but I'm sure he'll string a few more good outings here together here soon. Uh, hopefully looking for one this Friday night. And then Morris, our fr normal Friday starter, Thursday in this weekend's case, uh, he's looked really good. He had a few dominant outings. His first three outings of conference play, I believe, were pretty dominant. Definitely fueled this team to a couple victories. We lost his first conference start against TCU last weekend. So, I mean, about what I expected from him coming in. He's looked pretty good, right around a 3-5 ERA, I believe. Um, so definitely nice to have this, you know, transfer come in. He could come back next year if he wanted and, you know, produce for the team. Yeah, I think it's – the impressive thing with him, with him has been his ability to battle and ability to kind of – shake one off and then go back to work. I mean, hell, the first game of the UT series, first pitch of the game or second pitch of the game, he gets taken yard, um, came back and battled and gave up basically from then on, went six innings and no run ball. So um, I think that's the veteran, uh, you know, kind of pitched a lot of innings in him. He's a guy who's – he has already has two years of eligibility down. He's pitched for, I think, I think this is his third or fourth year in college or fourth or fifth year in college, rather. I think he's got at least – and get his I think this is his fourth year. He took his COVID year. Yeah. Um, he's he pitched two seasons at his prior school or two eligibility seasons rather. So he's got another year, like you said. Um, the guy's been pitching a long time. I think that I think that shows 
uh, with the ability to battle. And I think it's showed in the opposite sense with Molina and that, uh, you know, he's a true freshman. He's young. He's all the way from California. So then I think just the lack of big time innings pitched has allowed him to kind of slip sometimes and let, and let go. But uh, when he kind of gets touched up, but other than that, like you said, Birdsell should get back around here pretty soon and get back to being dominant. Hopefully we'll get it this weekend. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but another news around the country, the Tennessee Volunteers, who have been number one pretty much the whole season, stay at number one. They dropped a couple last week, um, but they're still right there at the top. Uh, teams that dropped in the rankings, the Miami Hurricanes went from two to five. UT went from seven to ten. Louisville dropped from nine to 16. And Notre Dame dropped from 10 to 18. And LSU and Dallas Baptist each dropped seven spots. So definitely um, about what you expect in your weekly rankings. You know, some teams dropping more than others. Uh, didn't expect to see LSU drop seven spots. UT dropping a few spots is always, you know, nice to see as a Big 12 fan. And I hope they continue to lose a few here because they haven't looked quite as good as people thought they'd be. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it right there. They haven't looked as good. I mean, they just lost 14-2 to two, uh, on Tuesday to Air Force, and they squeaked one out yesterday, 10-12 to 12 in extras, I believe. Uh, yep. I, know they, I know they walked – I think it was in extras. I think it was in 10. Uh, they walked I them off. So. But yeah, and it was in Austin too. So, um, you know, definitely a team, another team that hadn't looked as good as people thought they would. Um, but I guess in, in, in the other side of the coin, teams that have jumped this week, uh, Oregon, TCU, Maryland, and Georgia Southern – all went from uh, unranked into the rankings. Uh, Virginia Tech went from 21 all the way to eight. And then uh, just like Virginia Tech, Stanford went from 22 all the way to seven. Um, Stanford's a team that everyone thought they were a preseason top 10 team. Um, they have a lot of talent, loaded, ros- loaded roster. Uh, Brock Jones, uh, center fielder, is a monster. He'll be a top pick in the MLB draft as well. Um, but uh, good, to, good to see them get back in the mix. I'd love to see a couple of Pac-12 teams get back up in the mix there. Uh, and then Southern Miss going from 11 to 6. Pretty hot take, I think. Um, even with as bad as we're playing and as bad as Texas has been playing lately, I'm still taking us to mop the floor with Southern Miss. Same with same with Texas. As good as they are, I just – I don't know. I feel like that's, that's – Yeah, a, I don't get it. Uh, I don't either. But kind of nevertheless – And I'm glad I'm, – I'm, I'm glad to see – Smaller name schools getting the recognition, but um, I mean they were unranked a couple weeks ago, and now they're at six. So I don't know if I love it. Uh, I haven't loved the D one baseball rankings, which is what national rankings usually go off with, like ESPN reports as, and they haven't been huge on them this season. I'm going to continue to probably not be a huge fan if they stick like this, but um, fortunately those aren't what determine you know regional seating, super regional seating. So. Uh, you know, once we get down to that, we'll get to the nitty gritty of those rankings as we kind of get through the month of May. That's when we can kind of start getting into it. Right. Um, but that's pretty much all we have for you all on the college baseball and professional baseball front. We're going to kind of jump into the NBA where we have a good bit of action currently. Uh, the first round of the playoffs is underway. Tonight we have three more games on the slate. Uh, the, they are in chronological order uh the memphis grizzlies travel to minnesota to play the timberwolves that series is currently tied one to one uh the dallas mavericks will go travel to salt lake city where they will play the utah jazz that series is also tied as the jazz took one from dallas in dallas uh the warriors will travel to denver to face the nuggets tonight and the warriors won both of those games uh in san fran yeah i was gonna say golden state looks dominant i mean they look they look like the NBA final. Well, 
we'll get into this in a minute, but the Devin Booker injury makes them the clear-cut Western Conference favorites. And um, I won't say NBA Finals favorites, but they look really good right now. And they look – they're clicking on all cylinders. Brandon Poole has been that guy – or Jordan Poole, rather. Sorry, not, I'm thinking of somebody else. Jordan Poole's been that guy. Um, and he is – he look, that's what they need is another guy next to step to, to carry the scoring load. Outside of Clay, got to have another guy. So, they look really good. And then we have the Miami Heat, who are the top seed in the East, played the Atlanta Hawks, who won the play-in games. Um, Miami's now going to Atlanta to play a couple. Miami took both at their home arena. So they leave that series 2-0. As we stay in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks and Chicago Bulls series is also tied at one game apiece. DeRozan dropped 41 on Tuesday as Chicago took one from the Bucks in Milwaukee. Both teams making the two-hour drive south to play a couple in Chicago. Um, probably also expect them to split those two games. So definitely interesting series that I could see going, se- going seven games. Um, but we got some big news in the West for the top-seeded Suns. Yeah, Devin Booker sustained, like I mentioned earlier, sustained a grade one right hamstring strain and is reported to be out two to three weeks. Um, it's a huge blow to Phoenix. I mean, they got, let's see, Booker had 31. He was going off. I mean, he was in his bag. He had 31 at half. I think he'd only missed like six shots from the field and he'd taken a ton. I mean, he, he like I said, he was in his bag and uh, he goes down in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, I mean, even with, Booker going off in the first half Pelicans had kept it at a five point game at half. And um, when he went down in the third quarter, they kind of took advantage of that and uh, stole a game in Phoenix. So look for a guy like Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, uh, another guy to step up on the offensive end, carry that scoring load. If they want to, I mean, here's, here's the thing. They're going back to new Orleans. Now, if they drop a game, um, you know, they they're into a pivotal game four. Where I don't know if they can go down three to one. So I'm looking for DeAndre Ayton to step up in the next couple of games for them. See if he can kind of take advantage of it. What what I view as a favorable matchup in the paint with New Orleans, um, even with Stephen Adams there, I still think he he's old. He's a lot older than he he was when he was with Oklahoma City and playing well. I think uh, he should just have an opportunity to go off and 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 be that guy. You know, they select him number one overall for a reason, and they gotta they gotta let him go to work. So look for him to have a big game. Um, speaking of big games, Jimmy Butler had forty one the other night against Atlanta and that the Miami should sweep them. They're probably the favorites come out of the East right now. They look really good. Uh, Trey young looks not good. He's had two very poor games to put it nicely in the first couple yeah. of games in that series. So um, yeah, some, some surprising performances, uh, good and bad coming out of that series as well. Yeah. Back to the Phoenix New Orleans series, like you said, um, be looking to see who steps up in the absence of Devin Booker and if, they can't make it out of that series and Booker's season's over. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they rebound from that injury here when they play a few in New Orleans, but go back to the East. The Sixers are a win away from sweeping the Raptors. Uh, their series kind of started early. Uh, they play game four in Toronto in a couple of days. So it'll be interesting to see how kind of Toronto's last push to keep their season alive. Um, also in the East, the Celtics won both games in Boston against Brooklyn uh, the teams both head to New York now to play a couple. So it'll be interesting. I didn't think Brooklyn would lose both those games, but, you know, Tatum's looking good, and that's all I need, I guess, to win some games. Marcus Smart, who won Defensive Player of the Year, looks good. Uh, definitely a favorable matchup, one that I didn't really expect. Uh, but, you know, 
I'd love to see Brooklyn win, kind of make a run. But I like how Boston's playing right now. Yeah, they look really good. Uh, Sixers look really good. Both both those teams getting high contributions from their best players. Uh, like you said, Jason Tatum's he put he put up a game winner in game one, gets in the first game. Uh, he's, he played great in game two as well. Uh, Joel Embiid had a game-winning buzzer-beating three last night to put him up 3-0. Um, the exact kind of plays you're looking for in the playoffs from your best players. Um, you know, you want your best players playing at their best. I mean, think about all time, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Those all-time greats led their teams to playoff runs because they're at their best in the playoffs. And so I think you look at Miami, you look at, you know, you look at the Sixers, you look at uh, Boston, you know, those teams in the East have their best players playing their best basketball right now. So, um, you know, look for those teams to have a great run. Uh, we'll see if Ben Simmons is reportedly supposed to be back for game four or five. That's on the table. Granted, that could not happen. Ben Simmons is supposed to be back a month ago, and he wasn't. So, um, it, it would be huge for them to get him back. I think he provides a huge boost on the defensive end that I just don't know if Kyrie brings to the table as more of an offensive player. Um, you know, they don't need the offensive out from, output from Ben Simmons. I think they just need the defense from him. I think he matches up really well with Jason Tatum on the defensive end. So I think, I mean, even if it's a couple less points or a couple less quality shot takes from Tatum, I mean, that could be the difference. Uh, like it wasn't game one. I mean, it's a buzzer beating win. So Brooklyn's not, their backs aren't against the wall yet. They have to win game three, obviously. No team's ever come back from down 3-0. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think, like I said, getting Ben Simmons back should help him, though, if, if he can get back in game four or five. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he's probably the difference in at least one of those games that they played in Boston. But, you know, they might not get to a game five at this rate. So be pushing for him to get back here game four. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. We kind of wrapped up those uh, eight series that are going on across the first round of the NBA playoffs right now. Um, a college level of basketball, you haven't really had anything. Obviously, it's just the same thing for the past few weeks. A couple guys entering the portal, a couple guys withdrawing from the portal and returning to their schools, a couple guys declaring for the draft. Amoni Bates is transferring one of the top guys that, that committed to Memphis last year. Chet Holmgren declared for the draft. Um, so, I mean, basically we're just seeing things that we expected right now. Uh, probably next week we'll have a couple commitments from guys that were in the portal and some more top college prospects. But we're going to kind of shift to football here, uh, starting out at the college level. Spring you know games. We forgot? Jay Wright retired last night. I forgot about that. Villanova right. coach. I forgot that Jay Wright – I went over my head. I forgot that Jay Wright retired. I I literally just – it just I just remembered as we were starting that. Um, I didn't – I don't understand. I don't know why. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I just remembered that Jay Wright retired. And I was like, oh, that's that's big news we missed. Um don't know why he stepped down and basically retired. I mean, he's not like he's super old. I mean, Shashevsky's older than him, and he coached a little longer. So, um, tough, tough hit for Villanova. They've been maybe the best basketball program in the country, them or Baylor, over the last five years. So, um, huge hit for Villanova. Kind of came out of left field. I mean, literally came out of nowhere. So, yeah, it's definitely crazy. Um, he was their coach for 21 years. They're promoting their assistant coach to be their new head coach. Um, so, they're not going out of the house to retire or hire for that position. Definitely crazy coaching legend like Jay Wright uh, stepped down after all these years, kind of, you know, leading so many successful rosters, um, you know, far in the March madness and kind of consistently been a blue blood powerhouse team since he got there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what that 
post Jay Wright era is like. Um, hopefully they can emulate what UNC is doing with, you know, how they did this year post Roy Williams. Yeah. So it'll be kind of interesting. Maybe they take some notes from them. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Or, or Texas Tech post Chris Beard. I'm just going to say it. Mark Adams, that guy. That guy, pal. Just saying. Yeah, I don't know if Chris Beard had quite the resume. <laughs> no, of, of course not. No, no, I would just wanted to give yeah. Mark Adams some love. That's all. I look for every every opportunity I can to give Mark Adams some love. It's my guy. Yep. He is uh, signing a contract extension, actually, with the Red Raiders. Rumored yep. to be five years, but not, I don't think the official numbers have come out yet. Um, I think that is it for NCAA yes, basketball. Yes, now that's it. Now we we've get covered everything. Ball. Yeah. Um, but like I said, spring games are happening this weekend. Uh, Big Ten, we got the Illinois spring game tonight. Rutgers is tomorrow. Iowa and Penn State on Saturday. And then for Texas Tech's conference, Big 12, we got TCU on Friday. Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech, OU, and Texas are all this weekend. So a lot of games here uh, in the Big 12 this weekend. Yeah, Big 12 usually later on the on the spring game schedule. I mean, as I noticed on, the, on our list here, and we'll talk about it in a second, I mean, there's not a lot of – only four Big 10 teams, only two SEC teams, a uh, handful of Pac-12 teams, only one ACC team. And then next week, I think there's only one Power 5 next week. So they're most for the most part done. Uh, Big 12 is usually pretty late on these, uh, which I don't mind. Uh, you know, she gets some, some high-quality action. You know, Texas, Oklahoma – should be pretty interesting. Uh, really looking forward to watching our game on Saturday. I'll be there. Uh, my dad, my grandpa are actually coming up to, for the weekend, so we're going to go see that together on three of us on Saturday. Um, I'll be texting Brett updates, of course, while I'm there. Probably be texting me updates from the baseball game. So, But I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I don't want to ramble too much we can, for the sake of time, but really looking forward to see the quarterback battle for Texas Tech this weekend. Uh, out in the SEC, like I mentioned, only two teams, Ole Miss and LSU, going on Saturday. And the Pac-12, we got the Bruins of UCLA going on Saturday, Utah, Colorado. My Trojans at USC going on Saturday as well. Oregon, Washington State also going Saturday. So um, pretty big slate there for the Pac-12 going. They fit, they wrap up the other half of the conference for the most part uh, this weekend. And then out in the ACC, we got Virginia. Um, I guess the de facto ACC team is Notre Dame going this weekend as well. And then our notable G5s, our group of five schools, is Army is tonight as well as Memphis or tomorrow night as well as, as well as Memphis tomorrow night. And you got Louisiana Tech going on Saturday. So uh, full slate of games this weekend. Going to try and catch some highlights from the SC game while I'm at the Texas Tech game as well. Um, but should be a lot of a lot of really good action this weekend. Really looking forward to it. I love I love the spring game. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see kind of. Uh, somewhat a glorified practice, but at the same time you have refs, fans, all that, see kind of, you know, how your positional groups stack up against each other. Um, open to the public, free, always fun to see you just get back to the stadium. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to tech specifically, see how that secondary stacks up. Secondary yeah. looks as deep as it's been in the last five, 10 years. Um, so really be interested to see how they do finally fully healthy against the kind of new, younger wide receiver group uh, be something to look out for. And then always you want to, you know, O-line versus D-line is always an intriguing matchup. Yep. Yep. And then I guess I'll throw this in there for USC. I cannot wait to see Caleb Williams throw it around this weekend, sling the rock in that Lincoln Riley offense. Even like you said, glorified practice. Rarely do you see teams really ramp it up. I mean, Clemson did, but they're in a quarterback battle. Same with Texas Tech quarterback battle. USC probably didn't open it up too much. Uh, 
you know, same thing with a couple schools that are not going to be in quarterback battles. Like Alabama didn't open it up much because, I mean, I don't think Bryce Young played much anyway. So I doubt Caleb Williams plays a ton. Uh, hope, hopefully they get to see him throw a ball, throw sling around for maybe two possessions. That's all I want to see. So that's really all. Another, I Go ahead. Uh, just wanted to slide this in there. You mentioned Bryce Young, uh, Alabama, Will Anderson, the oh Alabama God. defensive end. Yes. Uh, if he, he was a sophomore, he's our year. So if he was eligible for the draft, he would have been the first overall pick this year. And it would be but, no question. Like it's, it's right. him and everybody else. Right. Um, so good. Unquestioned first overall pick next year. As of now, um, obviously, if a team's at the first overall pick next year and they need a quarterback, then he's probably not. But he had to be benched in their spring game because he was overpowering the offensive line too much and was making it unfair on just the offense and the whole game plan. So I love that. that. Definitely, I love uh, it. An intriguing storyline that I saw today. He he's a freak, man. He's so good. He drops in coverage. He rushes the passer. He's ooh rushes the passer. Um, no, he's he's a monster though, man. He, like I said, it would have been him and everyone else, and it's probably gonna be him and everyone else in next year's draft class. Even though we're gonna have two, at least two high level quarterbacks, and his teammate Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, I cannot wait to watch the Will Anderson tape. I can't wait for after the season's over next year to watch the Will Anderson tape because it's gonna be so dominant. I mean, he might be might be one of the most dominating tapes we have seen in a long time. So that's about he's a monster. Yeah, definitely something crazy to see, especially going up the going up against the kind of high caliber talent that he is in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much all we got for the college football front. We're going to shift to our kind of final topic we have for y'all in the NFL, a lot going on right now. Uh, free agency is pretty much dormant right now. And we're going to kind of have a second wave after the draft concludes. So May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, be looking for some more signings. Uh, Tyron Matthew, Stefan Gilmore, just a couple guys that will be signing probably after the draft. Gilmore's Gilmore just got his deal done. Official, official deal done in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. That was that slid under the radar. We had a lot going on this week uh, with some other sports, but good signing for them. I think the the Kenny Moore and uh, Stefan Gilmore pairing is really nice out there in Indy. Um, Indianapolis may not be done before the draft, though. They're rumored to be in on a a particular star player that I mentioned at the beginning of the, the pod today Debo Samuel, wide receiver slash running back. Well, former wide receiver that's running back for the San Francisco 49ers uh, is forcing his way out of San Francisco. Uh, he is rumored to have an issue with his hybrid running back receiver role and wants to be used primarily as a receiver. Um, from a career longevity standpoint, I understand. Um, it makes sense. You don't want to take the hits, but I'm not sure he commands the same amount of money if he's not playing running. You know, he's not at least taking some handoffs. I mean, that's where he provides his value is with the ball in his hands and uh, he's never really had to be that guy for an offense of like, hey, go get open in the intermediate routes, go get open in the deep game. And it's really only he's really only been tasked for the most part with getting open in the short game and then getting the ball put in his hands. And listen, I, I I'm not saying he can't do that. I just right now we don't have anything substantiated that he can go be a top ten player. Uh, pardon me, a top ten a top ten receiver for another team where he's just a receiver. So. Um, I think it's a mistake. Indy's reported to be in on him. A lot of teams are. I think most teams are going to be on in on him for the most part. Uh, so just an interesting development there. It's not It's not a contract issue. The Niners are willing to get him extended, and they want to. It's just he doesn't want to be there anymore in that offense. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, someone, like you said, of his caliber this past season, especially kind of where he balled out for the whole season. He had 2,100 all-purpose yards, 16 touchdowns, I believe. 
Um, definitely something that's crazy and something you don't really see. You know, guys nowadays, it's been rumored with pretty much the whole 2019 wide receiver draft class, whether it's DK, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, Marquise Brown, really anyone. Um, they delete pictures off their socials or remove stuff out of their bio. And it's like, oh God, the world is ending. You know, what are we going to do? We got to sign this guy. Does this guy want to be traded? Um, but in Debo's case, he does. And a kind of really rare instance to where he's kind of devaluing himself. Um, if my team would use him like the Niners did this past season, then, you know, you pay him what he's asking, 25 mil, which is insane to me, just for anyone. Um, but 25 mil is kind of the price for him. And then I would trade two seconds, just hypothetically. Um you know, but if you want, if you want to use him the way he wants to be, I mean, I'm not trading more than a third form and, you know, I'm not paying him more than 15 mil. It's kind of crazy to where he's kind of taking himself out of this money that he's earned himself this past year. Yeah. I just think it's just, it's bold because he, again, there's no substantiated, like there's no past history of it. It's not like he's a guy who's been, it's not like, you know, they just started doing this with him this year. And prior to that, he was this monster 1100 yard receiver running the whole route tree. He just, he doesn't, he didn't do that. That's not the offense he's in. Like I said, prior to that, he was, he was still a short game guy. Their, their intermediate deep threat was always George Kittle and it was always going to be George Kittle. And as it should have been, I'm not going to say it, it shouldn't have been. So Debo could get deep routes and intermediate routes. I mean, it was going to be George Kittle and that offense, just like the, the way it's predicated on the outside zone and on, on the RPO, like Kyle Shanahan's offense just is not predicated on throwing the deep ball and the intermediate ball. It's, it's predicated on, Outside zone, inside zone, RPO, now with Trey Lance at quarterback, and play action. Everything deep, that was it was all off play action. And almost all their passes were off play action. You rarely saw Jimmy G just drop back, take a snap, and drop back, and it was all under center. So you at least had some sort of run action at, for, the most time, for the most part most of the time. So it's just – it's interesting. Um, I think he's a Jet. I'll, I'll make that prediction now. I think he's going to be a New York Jet. Uh I think the Jets are going to send some capital. They're going to get in a bidding war. I don't think he fits that. What they want to do, it would make sense because of the Robert Saul connection and the offensive coordinator connection there, but I just don't see it. Uh, him being as productive there in New York, if they're going to use him as just a receiver. Again, maybe he, and I hope he is. I don't, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail. I just, I can't sit here and positively say, I'm going to pay this guy 20 plus million dollars a year and go trade a first round pick for him to not know what he's going to give me in that sense. You know what I mean? It just, I don't know. And he, and he definitely could, and he could go out there and earn himself a contract and ball out. And I'm all for it. I love guys making their money and getting, being successful. I'm not rooting against anybody really. It's just, I just don't know if, if I'm a GM, I don't know if I'm making that investment per se. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, Just crazy, unique scenario that we have going on with him. Yeah. Um, That's pretty much all we've got this week on the NFL front, non-draft related. Um, but in terms of draft related, if you tuned in last week, we gave you our offensive kind of power rankings at each position where we listed our top five guys in alternating order, who was the best that we thought at each position. Um, I know you've, to this point, you've probably watched more film than I have on some guys kind of this week leading up to the draft. I'm going to kind of cram some film on some guys, kind of finalize my evaluations on some people. So uh, these rankings could change in the next, you know, six, seven days as we get to the draft. But these are just where we stand right now. And uh, you want to kick us off with your edge rankings? 
Yeah, for sure. And I'll, and I'll, I'll kill what you just said. I mean, I've, I've watched a little bit of tape. I got a lot of tape uh, kind of over our Easter weekend break when I had some free time um, at home, but uh, my rankings did change over the weekend a little bit. I think I moved a couple guys up uh, in the edge rankings. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I just, I, and I hadn't updated it on, on our, on our, on our sheet, on our notes sheet yet, but Trayvon Walker moved ahead in my rankings and I had him prior. Um, a couple of guys moved around a little bit after watching a little bit more tape, a lot of senior bowl stuff too, uh, for some of the other guys, um, kind of watching them one-on-one watching how they attack certain different players. But, um, I'll kick us off with my edge rankings here. Um, so at number five, I got George Karloftis, the edge out of Purdue. I uh, like his game a lot. He's a physical player. He's just not as bendy as other guys are in this draft. He's in this class. Of these five, he's definitely the least athletic, and that's not a knock on him. It's just he's not going to have the same edge potential uh, edge rusher. Sorry, I'm just going to resay all that. The potential to have a high impact on the edge position as, as a pure edge rusher because he's not going to be as athletic and as bendy. He's not going to be able to get around tackles as much and beat him off the line. Nevertheless, he's a very solid player. He can be a very good pro. Um, just don't know if he is like a, a 15 sack a season guy. 15 sacks a season guy. Um, number four on my list, the exact opposite kind of player is Trayvon Walker, the edge out of Georgia, the guy who's been getting a ton of hype to go number one purely because of his athletic profile. Um, I don't see it on tape, and mainly because, and we talked about this before, Trayvon Walker just didn't play every snap at edge last year, and he didn't get the volume of snaps at edge that I would have liked to see to make him a bona fide edge one or edge two um the athletic traits are absolutely there the pass rush film that he does have on tape at edge isn't great i'll say i mean it's good it's not what you're looking for in a top five pick top 10 pick top 15 pick honestly the pass rush plan and and the strategies really isn't there for him um but that said in the same breath if it clicks and you're projecting and you can say this guy is a freak athletically maybe the best athlete in this class at his size and in his strength if it clicks for him, I mean, he might be the best defensive player in the league. If the, it clicks, though, is, is the point, and I have no idea if it's ever going to. Pardon me. So I just, you know, I like I like the build. I like the athleticism. I just don't know if he is a great pass rusher at the next level. Phenomenal run defender. Second best run defender on the edge, on the edge position in, the, in this class. Um, I have a guy I'm going to have at number three is Jermaine Johnson. I know Brett and I differ here. I think it's really, really close between uh, – Jermaine Johnson and my edge two and Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, I think Jermaine Johnson's a really, really complete player. I think he's probably the most complete edge in this class in terms of having a fully developed game. I think he's probably the most developed guy in this class, in the edge class. Um, certainly doesn't have this the pass rush ceiling that other guys do, but I think he has got a, an underrated pass rush. I think he's the best edge run defender in this class. And I don't know if it's close. Um, he's so, so, so good against the run. He's such a good edge setter. I watched a lot of his tape. He has the best tape against Akema Kwonu in the class that um, I've seen all year. Him and Akwonu battled, and I, Brett sent me a couple Twitter clips from it, and I, I responded. I said, man, I, when I watched their full game, it's one of the best one-on-one battles in the in, in that I've seen in a long time. So he's a really, really high-level player. Um, it, it's more like a 2A and a 2B with Hutchinson at 2. Um, I really love – I love. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, one of my favorite players in this class. Um, he doesn't have like the bendiness around the edge, but he's a really powerful rusher. Look at with his hand. And like I said, he's a, what makes him so good for me is that he's such a good run defender. Um, and at number two, Aiden Hutchinson, I mentioned he's not as, as, a, as complete of a player as Jermaine Johnson is, but I think Aiden Hutchinson has far more development to go in his game. I don't know how much more, like, I don't know how much more development Jermaine Johnson has because he's 23. Um, and that's not a knock. I just, 
I think Aiden Hutchinson has a higher ceiling than Jermaine Johnson does, which is why I have him at my edge too. Um, there is some projection that goes into these rankings for me, at least it's a lot about what's on tape. It's also about like what they could become. And I think Aiden Hutchinson could be a really, really good player at the next level. I think he benefited from having a high level pass rusher next to him at Michigan as well. And in, in David Ojabo. Uh, but I think he's a really, really smart player. He's really physical. He's got a great build for it. Um, again, he's a really good run defender. I think that's the rare thing about this class. There's a lot of really, really, really high level run defenders at the edge, at the edge position and um, really good develop, at least developed edge run edge defenders, which is hard to come by in college. These guys that aren't super refined in their, in their pass rush and rather in their edge defense game in the run game. So um, big fan of Ed Hutchinson in the run game in the pass game, both my number one edge and it's not close is Kayvon Thibodeau. What he puts on tape in the pass rush game is crazy. Um, his ceiling is really, really high. He's got the highest ceiling in his class. His pass rush is off the charts. He's an unrefined player, but um, he's certainly developed enough to make a high impact week one. And I think he has the potential to be a very, very high level edge rusher in the NFL. And, and um, I don't think he's that far off from putting it all together either. So that's why he's my edge one. Um, and uh, the athletic traits that he presents being as big as he is, and the, and what he's already put on tape, speed to power, that kind of thing, it, it's ridiculous. So he's my edge one, and I don't, I don't know if it's super close for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I got the same five guys in a little different order. Uh, but I agree with you with most you said, so I'm going to keep mine a little bit brief um, just for sake of repetition. But George Karloftis is my number five guy out of Purdue. Um, just want to see a little bit more from him based off the competition he went against. Uh, a few good tackles he went against. But, you know, it's not like the competition that the guys ahead of him went against. And they also had better production. Um, you said you value a little bit in the projection. And I like more of production of what they already done. Um, I do still take into account the ceilings of the players. And I think Karloftis probably is the fifth highest ceiling in this edge class as well. Um, so he landed here on my list. Nick Benito was also a candidate to go on this list uh, out of Oklahoma, really the top consensus big 12 edge rusher in this class um but i kept with Karloftis. he's also just gotten more media hype so that kind of swayed my decision um a trayvon walker here at number four out of georgia you just mentioned him really really solid guy um coming out of georgia that loaded defensive line i mean he had great stats great production really has it all together i think but i also want to see how he is not on a dominant defensive line not on a dominant defense um Similar to how Caleb on Chason out of LSU in 2020, um, he was drafted, I believe, 18th. And I thought that he, you know, wouldn't be as great as a pro, and he hasn't been just because of, you know, that dominant team he played on kind of stats get inflated because someone has to get the sack, someone has to get the TFL. And it, a lot of the time it was Chason for the Tigers. Um, but for Georgia, Trayvon, I think he can definitely come in and produce and be a 10-sack guy year one. Um, I just don't see his ceiling, you know, I think he could reach his ceiling a lot quicker than other guys, which is good, but I don't think his ceilings is high. Um, you know, my guy, number three, Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, uh, maybe a little shocking to y'all with my, he being my third highest ranked edge. Um, but I like him a lot. I really think he could come in, you know, he's six, seven, he is a couple inches taller than the rest of the guys in his edge class. Definitely has all the physical traits to produce and, He's really, really good at, you know, what he does, and that's getting to the quarterback. Um, you know, he's probably 
like you said, is really close with Jermaine Johnson. I just watched more Jermaine Johnson, so it's kind of a little bit of bias to, you know, just what I saw from the film. But I like Hutchinson a lot. He was also across Ojabo. Um, you know, Michigan's always produced solid edge guys, so Hutchinson will probably be no different. He'll come in, produce, you know, day one. Has a lot higher ceiling than, you know, I think Walker, Kerloftis. Uh, then my number two guy, Jermaine Johnson. I like him a lot. Um, definitely probably top five, six favorite guys in this class, just personally. Um, out of Florida State, you know, he was at Georgia with that loaded defensive line transferred. Honestly, you know, probably could have done just as well at Georgia. Um, you know, he goes to Florida State where they don't really have anyone along that defensive line this year, except for him, uh, at least notably. So him going out, you know, really, really complete run defender at setting the edge, kind of solid pass, pass rusher, but, you know, has a lot higher upside there in terms of some other guys on my board. Um, but then my number one guy in Kayvon Thibodeau, like you said, it's not that close. Um, he has the highest upside in the NFL class, I think, going into this draft. Just his craftiness, you know, with all his pass rush tools, he's, you know, what you'd look for size-wise in a, you know, edge defender nowadays. Reminds me a lot of Chase Young in some ways, just the craftiness around the edge. I know he's not probably as good a run defender, but being in the Pac-12, you know, you play some more run-heavy offenses than in some other conferences, you know, for sake, the SEC or Big Ten, more pass-heavy. So being in the conference kind of benefited him, I think, in that he kind of had a lot more sacks than people thought he would based off, you know, the snaps he played. But I also think it's just sheer talent and how well he can get to the quarterback and how efficiently more Importantly, um, there's not really any wasted movement in comparison to other guys in that, you know, he could be a 12 set guy year one. Um, so those are our boards. We had the same board other than I had my two and three switched um, in comparison to you. But, yeah, really solid edge class, especially at the top here. You know, five guys that will probably go in the first round, maybe even top 20. Um, it really all depends on where Carl Loftus goes, I believe. You know, he could go anywhere from five to 30. It's kind of no one really knows, whereas our other, you know, our top four guys will probably all be top 15 picks. Um, but exciting edge class. And, you know, even beyond those five guys, there's definitely a lot of high caliber guys that could come in and produce for your team year one. Yeah, I really like the tier two in this edge class. Um, I guess tier three, really. Uh, Erwin Lebichetti, uh Drake Jackson, Boy Mafe, guys like that. I really like all those guys. Um, we've mentioned those names during our two and three round mocks we've done. So I'm a big fan of of the of the of the later round edge guys too, the second and third round guys. But um, great class. They need an edge defender. Um, yeah, I mean, there's really not much to say. It's a, it's a good idea class as well. And I'll and I'll let you kind of start start off the uh, interior defensive line rankings as well. Yeah, you know, we we also have similar boards here. Kind of a interior defensive line class. That's there are very defined tiers to it. I believe some of those tiers will start to be blurred as we, you know, get to draft night and, you know, post-draft. As of now, uh, DeMarvin Leal, the defensive tackle, defensive end guy uh, out of Texas A&M, can really play a three or five tech, a guy that, you know, reminds me of Calais Campbell a little bit, a little bit smaller. Obviously, Calais is 6'8", um, but I think he could be a really good pro for a while kind of drop stock in the past month or so 
Um, but I definitely see a team getting a second round steal out of him. And, you know, he can come in versatile D lineman is never a bad thing. Uh, number four, Perry and Winfrey out of Oklahoma. I've only watched a couple clips on him, uh, but what I've seen has been really impressive. You know, I think he had a really good game against UT, a kind of three tech that you're looking for to kind of dominate, um, similar to the guy I have at number three uh, and number two for that sake. But number three, Travis Jones out of UConn. I think, you know, Jones could come in and be a really, really solid one tech. He could play the three tech. Um, you know, coming out of UConn, you don't really get as much attention, but this draft, a lot of attention has been garnered to him and just based off, you know, what he did on the field. But I really liked, you know, what I saw in the game I watched, and I think he could come in probably picked in the 40s, maybe even 30s. Uh, but I like what I've seen from him, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went early in the 30s just – Really complete guy, um, good run defender as well, and has that pass rush upside that you want to see in a defensive tackle nowadays. Um, but a guy with a good pass rush is Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia. Uh, my number two guy on the board, probably the best pass rusher out of these top five, um, did benefit like Trayvon from a loaded defensive line, I believe. He was kind of that smaller guy, um, well, smaller in the grand scheme of things. He's very big, but in terms of the Georgia D-line, he was smaller. Um, I mean, he produced pretty consistently there for them. He was always, you know, bound to get in the backfield, which was nice. I mean, it helps when you have, you know, a monster, like the guy I have at number one next to him. Um, but nonetheless, he has a good passer step side, probably work on his run defense a little bit. But, you know, solid three tech that could also play the five. Um, but my guy at number one, Jordan Davis, out of the University of Georgia uh, as well. Three Bulldogs out of the edge and ideal rankings for me. Um, and that's partially because, you know, they all play together and they all benefit off of each other's success, like any good defensive line will. Uh, Jordan Davis, 6'8", 340. Really all I need to know about him. Um, I've said it multiple times. He could be the best run defender in the league in three years. He's just that good. Uh, I saw a cool clip the other day about, you know, his pass rush side he wasn't really asked to rush the passer that much at Georgia. And a lot of people say, okay, well, he could do a lot better in the pass rush aspect and he could be, you know, a lot better and that would help his stock. And I mean, yeah, that's right. But I agree too, but I also see the part where he wasn't asked to do that. That was more Devontae Wyatt, you know, Carter and Walker's job. So I'll be interested to see how whatever team he goes to uses him. And if they use him, you know, to the best of their ability and, that fits his skill set the best, but without a doubt, he'll be a really good run defender nonetheless. Yeah, we have uh, four of the same four of the same five guys. My five spots different than yours. Um, I'll say Demarvin Leal is a guy that's probably sixth for me. I do like his game a lot. Um, I saw the Jerry Tillery 2.0 comp, and for those that uh, follow the Chargers, Jerry Tillery is kind of a bum, and they picked him in the first round, so I everyone hates him. Uh, I'm not gonna say I hate the guy. But I just don't really like him that much. So I, I kind of soured on Marvin DeMarvin Leal just a hair after that. But uh, the guy I have at number five, Logan Hall, I really like a lot. You gave the, the Clayus Campbell uh, comparison or similarity for DeMarvin Leal. And, and I think Logan Hall comps really well to what Clayus Campbell does. Um, you know, he's a couple inches shorter, but he's 6'6, 283. He's huge out of Houston. Um, you know, he, he can move around. Some, some, Draft outlets have him listed as an edge player, some as a D tackle. 
Uh, I think he can kind of play that five, that three. You can even slide inside if you needed to him. Needed him to it like the two technique or a, maybe a one if you needed it. Uh, don't think he's a nose guard per se at the next level, but I think he could rush off the off the center and be really productive there as well. Um, a guy whose game uh, is kind of multiple in a lot of senses, and I like him a lot in that sense. I think he bring a lot to the table. Um, I think playing against lesser competition at UH didn't benefit him in terms of he didn't really get the, the didn't get the exposure he could have been at a bigger school. Um, but I do like his his play style, like the way he plays, uh, like the way what he brings to the table. Guy, you've had number three. I have at number four, Travis Jones out of UConn. Uh, monster human being. Dude's huge. Uh, he's a nose guard the next level. He could be a really, really high, highly productive one. He's got a really good pass rush for being a guy who primarily plays a head-up nose or kind of a, a center shade technique. Um, rare to see a guy who plays that technique primarily uh, have a really good pass rush like that. So that's – Kind of a unique skill set that I like a lot out of him. Um, and then my guy at number three, you had a number four, Perry and Winfrey at OU. Uh, guy had a really good tape against, against Texas, but guy who dominated the senior bowls, like, just like Travis Jones did. But Perry and Winfrey had a great senior bowl week. He rushed from the three, he rushed, he rushed on the guard, rushed on the center, and he looked really, really good there as well. Um, obviously, it's like a lesser. though. I think the way he plays is can or can impact the game is similar to Chris Jones. And the fact that he's a he's a can could develop into a really good edge rusher or not edge rusher, uh, but kind of a rusher in the middle. Um, Chris Jones is my comp for Devontae Wyatt, actually. Um, I'm not saying he's gonna be that player, but that's just the player comp that I like for him. But uh back to Winfrey. Uh I think he got a has a disservice what OU tried to do with him, and it's not necessarily their fault, it's just their scheme. They had him playing the head up nose for the most part, and I think he's a three technique through and through in the NFL. And I think whoever drafts him in the second round. Uh, is going to get a steal. And if a team picks him in the late, you know, in the late end of the first kind of, you know, 29 through 32, they'd be making a good pick there, a good value pick. Uh, really like Perry and Winfrey's game. I think he brings a lot to the table as well. And that's something kind of a theme with this edge class or this, I guess, edge class and ideal class too. The whole whole defensive line unit uh, in, this, in this whole draft class is they're all very multiple. can do a lot on the field. So uh, Devontae White, you hit the nail on the head. He got a, he's a really good pass rusher. Uh, like I said, Chris Jones is my comp for him. He benefited from being next to Carter and, and Davis and Walker. Um, so he got a little, a little more one-on-one matchups in the run game and the pass game. Uh, I think he brings a lot to the table, though. A uh, really good player. And Jordan Davis is my number one. It's a big gap between one and two. Um, Jordan Davis is a freak of nature. The guy is monstrous and moves at a speed that no one that that's, that big should move at. Uh, so I really like what he brings to the table as a, as a run defender. I think, you know, again, you hit the nail on the head. He wasn't asked to be a pass rusher at Georgia that much. So I think his room for growth there is huge. And I think a team that could harness that uh, could get a just a generational talent at defense tackle out of him. So I think his ceiling is super high. I think he's worth a top 10 pick. I'd take him with a top 10 pick, and I would be thrilled on draft night if the Chargers drafted him at 17. Um, so like a really good ideal class. I like the other guys in this draft as well. I think there is kind of a drop off after kind of the mid second round talent, but uh, again, really good at the top. Mike. Yeah, no, I agree. We had four of the five same guys on our interior defensive lineman rankings, um, both with Georgia Bulldog guys right there at the top. Like you said, if we got Jordan Davis on draft night, be thrilled. Definitely kind of a unique guy. You don't see come through the draft process every year. Uh, 
I mean, that's that's it for our IDL. I know we got linebacker, corner, and safety rankings left if you want to get us kicked off with your linebacker rankings. Yeah, for sure. We're a little different on the, our linebacker rankings. Um, I got Chad Muma, the linebacker of Wyoming, as my fifth prospect. Um, just a solid football player. You know, I don't think he does anything great on tape, but I think he's just a good all-around player. Uh, he's a solid guy for Wyoming. I'd be lying if I told you I watched a lot of tape on him. Um, I've read a lot of scouting reports on the guy. I haven't gotten around to watch a lot of tape. I've seen a couple of clips, but um, like I said, it's a, he's a high IQ guy, really just, like I said, a solid presence in the middle. Um, I think what's the, the unique thing about linebacker, uh, and it's like quarterback, just the instinct of playing the game that you can't really replicate and you can't coach that. So a uh, guy who's just instinctual, really good player there. Um, number four, I have Christian Harris. Uh, out of Alabama. Uh, I think, again, he benefits a little bit from playing with a talented defense, but he did a good job uh, in his role at Alabama. I think he offers some really good athleticism at linebacker. Um, a guy maybe not as instinctual as others in this class, but a guy who brings a lot to the table athletically, and I think in the right scheme could do some really, really good things. I tried to watch some of his tape. When I was watching the Alabama tape, I was more looking at other guys, but uh, a guy who may sneak in to the back end of the first round of a team loves the athletic traits and Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. My top two linebackers are gone. Um, I wouldn't be doing it. He has a second round pick through through for me, uh, maybe even an early third, depending on how the linebacker board falls. But I uh, still like the guy as a prospect. Again, good athletic upside there. Uh, number three for me is Leo Chennault, the linebacker to Wisconsin, a guy who can kind of do it all at linebacker. He's a really, really, really good rusher up the middle as a linebacker, um, really good blitzer. Really physical player in the run game as well. Um, super physical downhill. Again, really instinctual player, and I think that that's that's can't be understated enough. Is that guys who can play instinctually and play well instinctually uh, are hard to come by, and you can't coach that up. And so Leo Chanel is a guy who I just think that he's maybe the most instinctual linebacker in this class. I'll say that, um, and I think he could be a really really good pro for somebody, um, potential Pro Bowler. Uh, I just don't know if he has the upside that these other two guys do. Uh, Nicobe Dean at Georgia. It's actually pretty close between Dean and Chanel for me after watching the Leo Chanel tape. Brett kind of put me onto that um, watching his tape. But Nicobe Dean, guy who was productive at Georgia in the run game, again, another good blitzer up the middle. I think, and we're going to say this about most of the Georgia guys, they benefit from playing with high quality players next to them. But a guy who was really good in the pass game for him as well, um, pretty good drop for being a guy that, that was a little smaller. Would have liked to see him test uh, athletically kind of run the, do the combine, uh, didn't really participate in anything there, didn't really run it as, as pro day in Georgia. So um, nevertheless, really good athlete, uh, really good leader for what it sounds like. He was kind of the captain of the defense at Georgia, which is saying something. So uh, I think that also can't be understood as, as a defensive guy, being a good leader, you know, especially at linebacker, you know, probably wear the green dot, be able to lead a defense well. So um, N'Kobe Dean brings a lot of intangibles to the, to the table as well. And my number one linebacker is Devin Lloyd out of Utah. Uh, you know, the guy does probably the most of anybody in this group. He can rush off the edge. He can blitz up the middle. He's the best pass coverage linebacker in this class, I think. Um, just because he's six foot three and he moves really, really smooth. His 40 time wasn't great. It wasn't what people expected, but I mean, again, he's a linebacker. He's not going to go run a four, four. He's not going to go run a, a sub four, five. So, um, you know, he tested well, well athletically. I think it was realistic for what he tested. I think the, the media had getting get, kind of given him some unrealistic, expectations and testing similar to Traylon Burks. So, uh, you know, Devin Lloyd, like I said, really good instinctual linebacker in the, up the middle, not, not as instinctual as maybe Leo Chanel is, but a guy that diagnoses plays pretty well. I think he could play a little better with his hands. I think he could be a little more physical at the attack point with his hands. 
uh, when he get people get his hands on him. But uh, slippery linebacker, that kind of thing. So I'm a big fan of his game. Yeah, I mean, those are five guys that are really, really solid. Uh, I only differ on one. So my rankings have four of the five same guys and the same guy at number five in Chad Muma out of Wyoming. Uh, maybe I'll spend a day here in the next week watching, just dedicating it to smaller school guys because uh, I have not watched anything on Chad Muma. This is strictly off, you know, what I've seen in rankings and uh, media. And, you know, maybe I think I saw a clip on Twitter or something, but it looks like he has, you know, what it takes to be successful at the next level. Um, he's probably drafted on day two. But I want to see, you know, maybe check after year one kind of how he produced and, you know, especially what team takes him, how he pans out for them and how he could fit into that roster. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how he does in training camp and stuff like that. So I'll probably watch him here in the next week or so, but have not watched any of them yet. Uh, Damon Clark out of LSU is my number four guy. I really like what I saw from him. I watched LSU versus Georgia, and he kind of jumped off there when I was watching um, George Pickens, actually, because Pickens' freshman year, Clark was a freshman, and he played somewhat um, behind Patrick Queen. But that's the kind of the game that he kind of jumped out to me. And, you know, I watched Clark. Obviously, he benefited from having a really good defense that year. He just kind of didn't play as much, obviously, as he did this year. Uh, but he's improved year to year. I mean, you look at the stats, it's better each year. Uh, a really, really solid guy. You notice your prototypical hard-nosed middle middle linebacker that you look for. Uh, so I like him a lot. And, I mean, that's why I put him here at three or four. Uh, the top three guys I have are pretty consensus, I believe. Um, from there, it's pretty much just personal judgment um, of, you know, what guys you like best. But number three guy is Nicobe Dean out of Georgia. I like Kobe a lot. I think he's, you know, your smaller, undersized, you know, that's kind of a story on him. Um, benefit of playing a loaded defense. Similar to Patrick Queen in some ways in that regard and in their play styles a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's a better coverage than tackler. Um, you know, you had Quay Walker and Channing Tindall who kind of did that for him uh, at Georgia. So, two other guys there from Georgia that could, you know, be drafted in the first four rounds at his position. I think he come in day one. If he takes a, you know, will linebacker role, I think he could be really, really good. His uh, rookie year, almost said freshman year, um, really good his rookie year and hopefully develops and earns himself a good second contract. Number two, I got Devin Lloyd. Really, really, really like this guy. Um, really got on him about a week ago and he's a guy I could see the Ravens taking. Um, I don't know if I would like it at 14. If we traded back, I would love it. He's a guy that does everything really well. Um, similar to Micah Parsons, I believe just a lot better in coverage. Um, I think he has that pass rush upside. Uh, I like Lloyd a lot, really complete linebacker, a hair skinnier uh, for his height that you would think for a middle linebacker. Um, I like him a lot and he could be my edge one, but I don't know. It'll be close. Um, it is very close between Lloyd and my edge one. Um, but I do think Lloyd is definitely better than the Kobe Dean. Uh, but Lloyd shows up in big plays, you know, big games, Rose Bowl, he showed up, played really well against that run and, uh, covered, uh, Jeremy Ruckert well out of the backfield when he was assigned on to him a couple of times. Um, so I liked that game. 
from him. And Leo Chanel is my number one linebacker on my edge rankings out of Wisconsin. Yep. I really like him more than anyone else. Uh, he's top five favorite guys in this class for me. He's a beast. His instincts remind me of Luke Keekley, Ray Lewis. It's just unparalleled, I think. Just, you know, how quick he dissects the play and, you know, breaks it down. And it really helps the defensive line as well, I think. Um, you know, it's kind of undervalued is the linebacker's instinctual value and how, he, you know, he's incredibly so versatile, not as good as a or a pass defender as Lloyd, but he's incredible in the run, really can rush from C-gap all the way to head on the center. Um, he did all that last year on Wisconsin. He would do all that in one game. Um, just incredibly versatile, great tackler, uh, really low. He plays really low, um, not quite as big or tall. Um, your prototypical linebacker that you see nowadays, but I really like him a lot. I think he could come in to any team and kind of, you know, he could lead the team in tackles uh, from day one. So I think, you know, if he's picked in the early third, late second, team would definitely get a steal for him. I could, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if someone, well, I would be just because of the, like the hype he's been given. I wouldn't be shocked if he'd be taken, you know, early in the second though. Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to kind of put a thumb kind of get a feel for how the league values linebackers every year. Um, they always tend to go kind of in the middle to late first round. So, you know, if, if Lloyd and Dean are both gone, a team could take Leo Chanel in the first round. I could also see a team taking him over, over Nicobe Dean or Devin Lloyd, uh, depending on how they feel about him. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting position to evaluate. I think it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's just a little different. I mean, again, teams value linebackers so differently. Some teams feel like they have to have a, a true Mike linebacker to run the defense, and other teams feel like they don't need that. They can they can run their defense to their safeties and corners, or, you know, kind of their their DBs and their friend their their D line. So it's an interesting evaluation on linebackers, I think, for every team. And I agree. Um, it varies team to team. Obviously, linebackers are grouped in the you know kind of linebacker mold, but linebackers are so different, especially nowadays, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you kind of have like your prototypical linebackers, um, but you'd have two of those guys that kind of do similar things. But nowadays you have dudes that are six, four dudes that are five eleven, kind of all doing a lot different things, you know, in the run game, in the pass game. So I think it varies a lot more nowadays than it did then. Uh, definitely something to look out for, you know, our borders, what guys we think are the best, but obviously it comes down to team fit, uh, in terms of where they'll be drafted. Um, but as we move to our corner rankings, all we have left for y'all today is our secondary rankings. Um, and I'm going to start out here with Roger McCreary, the corner out of Auburn, a guy with a little bit shorter arms, um, similar to my guy I have at number four, but, you know, he played outside this year, got bullied on a couple plays, I will say. Um, so it is nice to kind of see him drop to that second round kind of grade consensus uh, as he was, you know, around 20 about a month ago. So, I mean, seeing him picked in the 40s, it's probably pretty likely. Definitely see, you know, a team using all of his skill set, you know, playing him inside, outside. He could be, you know, that versatile corner that teams so desperately want nowadays, uh, especially teams, you know, with injury-prone corners. Um, number four, Trent McDuffie, a guy with even shorter arms. But I do think his coverage is, you know, the same as McCreary. I put him higher because I think he's better at a specific slot corner. 
Uh, I think he's a better slot corner. I just think McCreary is more versatile. And so if a team drafts McDuffie, I mean, you probably draft him. He'll play mostly in the slot. Um, I like him a lot, though. Only watched about a couple of drives of him. But I'll watch more here in the next week. Um, he's just a guy I really like. And he, I'm lower on him than, you know, most people. But I just think that's because he wasn't a household name until a little bit ago. I hadn't really gotten around. I can't just – I don't understand the hype quite as much. Uh, but he is really good in coverage, and that's what you want from a corner before anything. Um, my guy at number three, Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. I think he is – my comp for him is Marlon Humphrey. They are, I think, exact play styles. It's basically like watching Marlon in a Clemson jersey. To me, at least, uh, I love Booth. If it wasn't for injuries, I would love to take him at 14. Uh, but sake of the game, you get injuries. He has a core muscle injury he also had some injuries below the waist uh, so definitely something to watch out for as he kind of rehabs through that should be ready uh, by training camp but always something to look out for he's a guy that could come in you know he could play the slot but I mean he should be an outside corner he played really really well there last year for Clemson even when they had a good corner opposite him as well um, really really polished player incredible tackler uh, I just love what I've seen from him don't really hate anything. Maybe his deep ball tracking, if anything. But, I mean, he's just an incredible prospect, I think. And then two guys at the top, we both agree on who we have for our top two corners. Uh, my guy at number two is Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU, a guy that would have been number one here if he hadn't played in about, you know, 700 days. Uh, but I like him a lot. He balled out his freshman year, even on that loaded LSU roster. Um, incredible tape as a very young guy in college. Um, he balled out his pro day, too. I mean, he's helped his stock a lot this offseason, and I really liked kind of, you know, what he's done to help his stock. You know, I heard he had a couple of good interviews. He's, I'm sure, going on loads of top 30 visits. So he could be the first corner taken very well. Um, come draft night. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, but I like him a lot. Does everything really well. Uh, just really good coverage guys uh, specifically. And Sauce Gardner out of University of Cincinnati. He played in a good secondary, um, not as good as maybe some other secondaries, but, you know, he had Kobe Bryant opposite him, who will probably be a fourth round pick. And Sauce, you know, his past coverage stats were just incredible. Um, kind of your lankier corner, about 6'3" on the skinnier side uh, in comparison to a guy like McCreary or Booth. Um, but I like him a lot. I think Sauce's, you know, his coverage stats in college were like that one graphic we see from Darrell Revis that year, his one year in the NFL, you know, holding everyone to under 35 yards. Sauce didn't allow a touchdown at all. He didn't allow anyone to get some big catches. I mean, not even one. It's crazy how, you know, I haven't seen a guy really this year, last year's corner class that, is consistently as good as he is. Um, maybe he's not well-rounded as like a Pat Sertan, but I think he's the best coverage guy that I've seen. Um, you know, Derek Stingley could be there, but injuries, obviously. Uh, so I like Sauce a ton. He should be a top five pick. He'll probably be a top 10 pick. Um, but I mean, if he's there in range, teams should trade up for him, especially if, you know, picking in the late teens, get up to 10, eight to 10 range got to take and this is a guy that you can't miss the opportunity to draft yeah i 
like I said, like you said our, our corner boards are pretty similar here. Uh, our fives are different, similar to our D tackle rankings. And then I've got my three and four flipped. But uh, it's a really good corner class. I'll say it's a deep class for corner. There's a lot of upside late in the, in the you know, third, fourth round. Um, my five is going to be Kair Alam out of Florida, uh, nephew of uh, former Raven Matt Alam. Uh, not a great player for the Ravens, but nevertheless a Raven. Um, yeah. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kair Alam's uh, coverage game. I think he's got some of the best tape against high-level SEC receivers. Um, I'd say this, he's not good in the run game. He's not a very physical player. He avoids contact sometimes and, and you know, when tackling and, and playing against the run. Uh, yeah, I think for certain teams, it's not an issue because you can, one, coach that up, and you can, two, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pass-heavy NFL. And, and especially, you know, if you're going to like, – if he goes to an AFC team, you know, we've mocked him to – I like mocking him to the Buffalo Bills – if he goes to the Bills, he's not really going to have to cover. You have to play the run game that much. He'd be covering a lot, and so um, stick him on the outside. Hopefully, he doesn't have to make a bunch of tackles in the, in the open field. Um, I think he's fine tackling receivers off off the catch point. Like if they catch a quick out on him, he's fine to push him out of bounds. I just don't think he's a guy who's going to fly up uh, and make a make a big hit and at least be physical in the run game or, or coming up on a short pass like the guy I have it for Andrew Booth. Um, I really like Booth's game. He'd have been a lot higher. He'd have been my number three corner, and he was until recently when this injury news kind of came about. Uh, he's got Oshkin slaughters, or I think that's how you say it, uh, which is kind of a it's a lower leg. It's a knee slash, I guess, I guess the knee. It's a knee. I don't know if I'll call it a disease, but it's kind of a, a thing where he just has weaker knees, and he just kind of, you know, his knees aren't going to be as healthy as everyone else. So kind of a big red flag for me injury-wise. He's also had other injuries he's dealt with. Um, the guy was really ball productive in his first couple seasons at Clemson, though. He's made some great plays on the ball. Um, although he's making interceptions all the time, is fine. I mean, a, 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 you know, a pass deflected is a pass deflected. I'll take it. Um, but I think he's a really solid player, really, really good outside corner. can play press, can play zone. I think he's best in press man or, uh, you know, just that's, that's where he fits best. But I think he can play his own at a high, really, really high level. Um, really like his game. Uh, don't like his game as much now that I know about the injuries, but uh, still a really good prospect. And then at my number three corner, I have Trent McDuffie out of Washington. I'm all, I'm, I'm higher on, on, on this guy than Brett is. Uh, I've watched a lot of McDuffie's tape, at least the stuff that I can find. And I'll say this, he's a really, really clean watch. There's no weakness to his game. He sticks on receivers for being as, you know, I guess small as he is. Uh, he's definitely a smaller guy. I think he could play on the outside at the, at the next level. I just don't know if he's a guy who's going to follow guys around. And I don't think he's a man corner per se, um, at least all the time. I think he fits better in the slot being a smaller guy and being a little more physical. He's, I'll say this, he's really physical for, for the, his stature. Uh, like I said, really, really clean watch, though, really clean prospect. You know, there's not much wrong with the guy's tape. I don't think, again, I don't think he has a weakness. I think he's a really smart football player. Uh, I think he covers really well. I guess he sticks to receivers, and, and he's just he, – he doesn't miss tackles that much. So, sort of like him about him a lot. Again, he's smart. You know, part of playing corner is just being able to be in the right position and know what you're doing and kind of being able to read route concepts and, and take a guy and carry a guy in zone. So, uh, big fan of Trent McDuffie's. I'd be happy if we took him at 17. I mocked him to us at 17 in my mock draft on Monday. So, I'm a big fan of his. At number two, I got Derek Stingley Jr., just like Brett, and Sauce Gardner's going to be my one, just like Brett. Um, I'll say this about Stingley. You know, like Brett said, you know, it'd be a different evaluation if the guy hadn't played in, in 10 games of his last, you know, 28 or I guess 24, 25 possible, right? I mean, he plays in all 15 games his freshman year at, at LSU. He's the best player on that defense. Um, 
on a national championship team. Uh, maybe some of the best tape we've ever seen at corner, especially for a freshman. He did it at 18 years old. He's a young freshman. Uh, so he's only 20 years old right now when he gets drafted. He did it, did it all at 18. Uh, it's pretty impressive what he was able to do against SEC receivers, the best of the best. Um, you know, it's not like his tape was bad in, the, in, the, in his last two years. I just, you know, he didn't play games. It's a 10-game sample size over two full seasons, and it's it's hard to, you know, they weren't full games either. Some of them, they were half games. Um, yeah, I don't blame him for only playing three games and not trying to come back off of a, off of a foot injury. Um, I'm just going pro this year. Uh, you know, I, some questionable things in the in the run defense department, the tackling department, uh, kind of coming up to the line of scrimmage. But I think that's coachable. I also think he's got maybe the highest ceiling in this class. I think he's a guy who could be the best corner in the league. If, if you get that freshman version of him, you can develop that. A guy who could be the best corner in the NFL, no doubt, but could take some work to get there. And I think the injury risk is pretty high with him. Uh, nevertheless, the, the upside is, is so great that I'm going to still have him at corner two. And my corner one, no debate here is going to be Sauce Gardner. Um, this guy had the best tape against Jamison Williams of anybody in the half that he played. Um, he's six foot three, 190 pounds, and you can't really match up with that. With You can't have a receiver go match up with him and be bigger than him. Um, he's a really, really physical corner for being that big. He flies up in the run game, makes tackles. He avoids blockers on screen plot, screen passes and gets gets up under him and makes tackles. Um there's no weakness to his game. I think he's a, he's he's better in man than he is in zone, but he's still a fine zone corner. But I think he's a guy you could put on an island and go, okay, follow this guy around. I mean, it's what they did at Cincinnati and, and allowed the whole team to be a lot better. So, Sauce Gardner's a can't-miss guy, like Brett said, and he should be. And I could see him going at four to the, to the Jets, honestly, if they wanted him that bad. So, it would, wouldn't be a bad pick. It's good value. I think he's a top-five player in the class and um, one, of the, one of the cleanest players in this class in terms of, uh, you know, evals. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we have four of the five same guys. Same guys in our top four, hair different order there with you switching McDuffie and Booth. But, I mean, this is a great corner class, similar to what we said about the edge rankings. I do think the edge is a deeper class, but, I mean, you got six corners really at the top. Um, Sauce, Stingley, Booth, McDuffie, Elam, McCreary, all guys that can come in and be really, really solid guys from day one. You know, projections aren't really as – a thing for corners as they are edges. Um, but, you know, similar to safeties, I think this is a really good class. And all the guys, you know, first two round projections that could be picked uh, could really come in and produce and be really solid for anyone that takes them. Yeah, absolutely. And just like the corner class, I think it's a good safety class as well. Um, and I'll kind of start off with my safety rankings here. Uh, we have the same five guys. They're ordered a hair differently in, in the the four and five spot. But at number five, I have Lewis Seen out of Georgia. Um, him at five mainly for me is just because I don't, I don't know if he's as great in in coverage as, as the other guys are atop the list. Um, but he's a really physical run defender. He's, you know, great in the box. Again, I think he I think he benefited the most of all the Georgia guys we talked about of playing with a really, really loaded defense. Um, you know, when you're playing with that front seven that he got to play with, it's pretty easy to be physical and come up and make plays. Um, regardless, he still re- he still reads passing lanes well. I just I don't know if he's as good of a free safety or just safety in general as the guy I have at four in Jaquan Brisker. Um, though I think Lewis seems he really goes box safety for a team. Uh, I think he fits well in a lot of schemes. Um and I definitely see him kind of filling that box safety, strong safety role at the next level, um, as opposed to the guy at four, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State, who I think is going to fill a, a, the free safety role. He's a really good center fielder, um, not literally, but like playing a center field type safety, you know. Um, 
I think he drops in coverage really well. He's got really good eyes. He got really good instincts at safety. Um, still a fine player in the run game. Don't know if he's as good as a tackler as these other two guys. I have it two and three. Um, he's definitely not Kyle Hamilton. I have it one. Uh, but I like him a lot. He's not as versatile either. I don't, I don't think he and Cena, I don't know if those guys can necessarily fill different roles. Um, the kind of the two guys I have at two and three, or I, I view as Swiss Army knives, he can do a lot, but still like Brisker's tape a lot. He's a really good safety. Um, all five of these guys are really high level safeties. Um, at number three, I have Jalen Petrie, who I struggle to even call a safety. I think he's just a, a DB. Same with uh, Daxon Hill, who I have it too. Is you know, Jalen Petrie played in the slot a lot at Bailey, or played deep, he played strong safety and you know, box safety. So, um, he did a lot for him. He was really good in the slot, really good, really good in the senior bowl as well, playing in the slot, covering guys. Um, some outlets have him listed as a corner. I think he's a safety still. I think he can still drop back into coverage in, in a deep zone. I still think he could rush off the edge as, as kind of a box safety. Um, he's a little more slender than you'd like for a guy who can blitz, but that doesn't really affect him. I don't think he, he flies off the edge really well. He's really physical. Um, a big fan of his game. One of my favorite players in this class. He's really, really good in, in the pass game too, in the slot. Uh, you know, teams tried to throw quick outs on him and or you know screens, and he blew up blockers and, and lit up, you know, pass catchers in the short game. So a big fan of that as well. And a guy just a guy who I think is very, very similar to him. And Daxon Hill, I have it too out of Michigan. I think the biggest difference in their games, I think Daxon Hill presents a more viable option to play like a deep third, like to really be a free safety, while also being able to cover in the slot at a high level. Um, at least in college, being able to blitz off the edge at a really, at a really good level. Um, physical, really physical player, just like Jalen Petrie. Um, one of my favorite guys in this class, a guy that I'd actually be cool with taking at 17. I think, again, he's a he's the old, he's the epitome of a Swiss, of a Swiss Army Knife DB, a guy who I think you can feel comfortable putting it anywhere on the field in the, in the, in the secondary and saying, all right, I think you can be fine. I'm not going to have to be – you know, going to be a liability whether it puts you at corner, puts you in the slot, puts you – you know, rushing a passer off the edge, kind of a blitzer, uh, playing you deep safety or just playing it as a box safety kind of as a coverage guy. I think he's really multiple, really versatile, can play a man in the slot, can play zone in the slot. Uh, really big fan of his game as well. I know Brett's a huge fan of Dax Hills. And then Kyle Hamilton, number one safety, and it's not for lack of, of good safeties behind him. It's just that he, I think he's a top three player in this class, a guy who I think is the safest player in this class, despite what media outlets may say, may want to tell you. This guy is so good. His tape is incredibly good. He dealt with a, a minor injury at Notre Dame the second half of the season, and he ended up sitting out the rest of the year for the most part. Um, but this guy's tape is so good. Maybe the best football player in the class. I think he is. Um, there's nothing this guy can't do. He can, despite what people want to tell you about his 40 time, you know, the range is four, what, four, four, five to four, seven. I don't care what he runs as a 40. I care about that he looks fast on tape. And the guy can literally do it all. He can play deep safety. He can run hash to hash, sideline to sideline. Um, can play. He's big enough to play in the box and play linebacker. Really physical in the run game. Um, really, really instinctual. Maybe one of the most instinctual, instinctual players in this entire draft class. Um, in fact, he probably. In fact, I'm going to say he is. Uh, you know, the instincts of to flip the hips immediately and run from the far hash to the sideline and make a pick against Florida State. Um, you just can't coach that. Uh, you know, the guy just – there's things that players do that you can't coach, and he's one of them. And, um, you know, people are talking about Kyle Hamilton being a high draft pick preseason before the season started and being one of the best players in the country, and he lived up to it. Um, I'm a big Kyle Hamilton fan and maybe my favorite player in the draft. Yeah, no, rightfully so. Uh, he's definitely – I mean, a guy that's come through 
the draft process that we haven't seen in a few years, probably since Derwin James in terms of play style. Um, you know, Derwin James was drafted in 2018. So that's been 19, 20, 21, 22. So all those draft classes and no one's really been like Kyle Hamilton. So definitely some, and you like to see as a draft kind of evaluator. Um, but I'm going to jump into my rankings here, same five guys. Uh, but the only thing is I got Jaquan Brisker at number five and Lewis Cena at number four. But Brisker, uh, I'd say really not much to say on him. Really good free safety, I think. I'd love to see for uh, the Lions to take him at, you know, 32 or 34, probably 34. I mean, he's there with one team picking between him. I bet he goes top 40. Uh, just a really good player. I mean, not a ton of dudes on the Penn State defense that, you know, were really good this year. So that's a testament to how good he is and how consistent he held up the back end of that defense. Uh, but number four, Lewis Seen out of Georgia, loaded defense. Got him at four here because I think he does have value, but he's just not quite as versatile as some other guys. Um, I think he could be kind of a Jamal Adams type just in the fact that, you know, he can rush occasionally if you need him. He can also, you know, sit back, guard the slot. I don't think he should be a true center fielder, deep safety. Um, but neither, you know, I really think there's only a couple free safety, true free safeties here in this class. Um, and then my guy at number three, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. He won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Didn't know much about him until the second half of Big 12 play. Um, you know, we played him and kind of jumped off the screen. And uh, he's just so rangy. And a guy that, you know, similar to Kyle Hamilton, his speed really is on tape and not as much um, on the stopwatches. But I think, you know, he could be a really versatile guy. I think he could play strong safety. Uh, wouldn't love him as a center fielder kind of that deep half safety. Um, but I do like him playing corner as well, have him as a safety, just because I think that's more primarily what he'll do. Uh, but really a guy that can play, you know, five positions on the defense, which is great uh, in this day and age of the NFL. And same with the guy at number two, I think just as versatile in Daxton Hill. For Michigan, I only like him more because he brings more of a value as a free safety. He did that more at Michigan. That defense was just catered a little more to him, I believe, with two dominant pass rushers. Uh, Mike McDonald, who is now the defensive coordinator of the Ravens, was the defensive coordinator at Michigan. And he moved his guys around a lot more in that secondary just because of that D-line that they had, um, which is kind of a gift. Uh, Baylor didn't have quite the D-line that Michigan did, so their guys had more designated roles. Um, but rightfully so. I mean, Daxon Hill is a great player. Like you said, one of my favorite guys in this class that's kind of you know, not received a ton of hype. His draft stock's definitely gone up this offseason. Um, kind of being discussed as a tail end first, mid-second guy, but now he could be a mid-first guy. When it's all said and done, it just depends on, you know, who's picking away or what guys are on the board. Um, I like him a lot. He can come in, be super versatile, just like Jalen Petrie, uh, very similar guys. And number one, uh, it's not too close, Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. You know, like you said, he was out the second half of this year, but the first half of tape was enough for everyone, I think. I don't know. I mean, he's still consensus top safety, regardless of if they think he's going to be, you know, top three pick or top 15, 20 pick. He's still a consensus number one safety. Uh, and I just love what he does so much just because he's so quick sideline to sideline. It's almost like a linebacker with enhanced coverage abilities, um, kind of like in Madden. It's kind of like you're mad in my player if you had to make a safety. He kind of brings all the intangibles 
that you, you that you look for and you want a guy like that, you know, on a young defense. I think he plays a lot older than he is uh, in terms of just value instincts and you can really bring, you know, the, everything you want in a safety to your team day one. Yeah, I think and 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 tell me if you disagree with me here, but and it's a really good five group of safeties and these guys should all be top 40 picks, but the interesting thing is there's kind of a drop-off after these five. I don't know who – I mean, Kirby Joseph out of Illinois is probably the next one, and I wouldn't put him in the top 70. Um, so it's unique. Oh, yeah. it's, a really, it's, a good, it's a good safety class, though. I, I like a lot. I like all these guys. They bring different things to the table. But um, like you said, Colin Hamilton, number one player. I think he's number one player in the draft, so I'm sticking with it. Um, that kind of does it for our defensive rankings. We're not going to do specialist rankings. All I have to say for kicker is that John Garibay out of Texas Tech is the best kicker in the draft, and it's no one else even comes close. A slight bias, but he's that guy. Um, but no, we're not going to do specialist rankings. It's hard to quantify that. You have to actually see him work out and take yeah. kicks on, on another field and that kind of thing. But um, fake punt no, execution. That exactly. I want to see. I want to see how this guy throws the ball. That's what I want to see. No. Um, it's hard to it's hard to quantify that kind of stuff, and those guys always usually just get undrafted. And there's always a couple kickers and punters drafted, and then the rest go undrafted, and half these guys get cut anyways. So, um, yep. and they float around. But really fun doing this kind of stuff. It's interesting to see how we we kind of stack up on our rankings here. I think they're for the most part pretty similar at the top as as they kind of get when you get consensus guys kind of towards the you know we're a week away today, and you know I can't wait. I've been, I've been looking forward to this day since the Chargers season ended. I know Brett's been the same way, so. Um, draft night's going to be huge. I think we'll, I guess, make the announcement now. We're going to do our regular episode. It'll be Wednesday next week. Um, so that way we can get you guys a, a late night first round mock react or first round reaction to the draft um, on draft night. Um, should be really exciting. We won't talk too much draft, I guess, on Wednesday. We'll try to stay away from that since we'll get a whole a whole draft, you know, episode on, on Thursday night after the first round of the draft is over. But um, yeah, I think that's about it. Brett, anything else you got to say today? Uh. I don't think so. Um, pretty much covered it all. Yeah, like you said, our normal episode will come out next Wednesday, uh, so in six days. We'll have back-to-back episodes then next Thursday. Um, kind of do that review probably around midnight, honestly. I'd be late. Uh, but you know, if we're both if we're both staying up and doing the pod, then something good happened for both of us. I mean, if we that's take right. penning, I'll be like, hell no, I'm not doing a podcast. That's right. That's right. That, but, that, yeah. That, that's contingent on neither of our teams taking Trevor penning. If our team yeah. took Trevor penning, it's going to be rough. Or like a bone of like a consensus a day two prospects. Ber- that we Bernard take. Raymond at, at 17, just send me into a spiral. Yeah. But Ugh. no, but we got, we got, you know, our final mock, It'll be a two-round, no-trades mock uh, that we will both do together. So I know last week we had our – or this past Monday we had our individual ones. We're going to go back to doing a joint one yep. for y'all this upcoming Monday, Wednesday the episode, Thursday reaction. And then the following Monday we'll have a mock the draft where we do winners, losers, kind of, you know, each team's haul and assess it from there. But that's yep. pretty much it. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Cold Sea Podcast. Uh, a little bit of a longer episode today, but we got a lot of info to cover. And, you know, the player rankings always take a little bit, but we wanted to get our offense and then defense this week uh, for y'all. So that'll wrap it up today. Uh, But as always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on Monday. See you guys later.